I'm Kate Daniels. Taking great care of our health, Dr. Michael Garko, a practicing nutritionist, is here to share some important ways to do this. Dr. Michael Garko, good morning, and thank you so greatly for being with us today. Well, thank you, Kate. Thank you for inviting me to talk with you and your audience. Uh, I really appreciate the opportunity. I am really grateful because I know that strokes, heart disease, but strokes in themselves are such a big health issue for all of us. It causes me concern. I think about, you know, and I monitor my body. Is this feeling, this ache in my leg, perhaps a clot? You know, there's just all that kind of stress. But the fact is, there's ways to really do what we can in terms of good health. And that's why I appreciate you and your information to help us understand and what we can do as good preventions. Absolutely. And you allude to the seriousness of stroke. And stroke is not just something that happens to other people, Kate. Stroke is something that can happen to anyone at any age. And I say at any age. Now, certain factors like diet and lifestyle behaviors, your age, your family history, certain medical conditions can increase the chances of having a stroke. And what is so startling about stroke, when you look at the epidemiological facts, for example, one in six deaths from cardiovascular disease are due to stroke. And every 40 seconds, someone in our country, in the U.S., is having a stroke. And every three minutes and 14 seconds, someone dies of a stroke. So it is of great concern. Men, women, young, old, and everybody in between is a candidate for a stroke under certain conditions. And that may feel really shocking. And in a way, that's a good shock so that we really become informed and aware of what we need to do to take care of this precious cargo we have, this body that we've been given, and to keep it in the best shape possible. You've already spent time working out this morning. You know, I have always, even when I was a boy, for some reason or another, I don't quite fully understand. I was always intrigued by nutrition, and I was always intrigued by just the anatomy and biology of what we are, and it just stuck with me, and I've always taken care of myself. And I was in there this morning, two hours, and I train six days a week, and I believe in it. I know how it has benefited me. I try to walk the talk. You know, I never ask my nutrition clients in my practice or when I'm on air, when I used to do my own show or on your show, I never ask anybody to do something that I would not do or have not done myself. So, uh, yeah, I was in there for almost two hours today. (laughs) So we've established you really do what's needed physically, and that is a component, of course, of taking good care of our bodies and in terms of a stroke prevention and cardiovascular disease. Absolutely. What people need to know some things that some takeaways here. Like I said, anybody at any time at any age can have a stroke. So if someone's having a stroke or somebody, you may be sitting at a table in a restaurant, it can happen at any moment. You have to know what to do. And time is of the essence with a stroke. Every single minute counts. Every minute lost is brain lost. And so there's an acronym called ACT FAST, F-A-S-T. It's a good way to remember this. These are the key signs that are indicative of a stroke. 
F. F for face drooping. If one side of a person's face is drooping, that's usually a sign that they're having a stroke. Look at their eye, cheek, or lips to see if there's any unusual symmetry. A, arm weakness. If a person is experiencing arm weakness, that's another indicator, and you can ask the person to raise both their arms to shoulder height and check for one arm that seems lower than the other. The S in fast means slurred speech. If the person's speech is slurred, or they're having difficulty talking and they're unintelligible in what they're saying, that is another sign. And T for time. It's time to call 911. You don't sit there and dilly-dally and try to figure out, well, I wonder if Bob is really having a stroke. If you think Bob is having a stroke, call 911 immediately. Don't attempt to drive Bob to the emergency room yourself. Get an ambulance there and so that the techs and the medical personnel can address this right there on the spot. So F-A-S-T, act fast. I've certainly spoken with people, had them on as guests in the past, who have indicated that in the case of their stroke, some acted quickly and were able to ultimately have recovery of their functions. Others who delayed ended up not in such great form, saved their life, but were perhaps dependent on using a cane. Yes, again, Every single minute counts, and you have to really act fast. So, you know, what exactly, though, is a stroke? Sometimes they call it a brain attack. Well, as a brain attack, but something's blocking blood supply to part of the brain. That's one way it happens. Another way is when a blood vessel in the brain bursts. So a stroke can happen in one of those two ways then, by a blocked artery or a ruptured artery. In either case, though, parts of the brain become damaged or die. That's why when no oxygen gets to those cells in the brain, they become oxygen-starved, they begin to die. And it doesn't take days or hours. It starts to happen almost immediately. So a stroke can cause that lasting, like you suggested for some of your friends, lasting brain damage and long-term disability or even death. So that's why it's Again, act fast. So this clot, you mentioned that a blood vessel bursting in the brain, but a clot, could it occur anywhere in the body, the arms, the legs, or is it in an artery near the heart? Not necessarily near the heart. You could have in your lower part of your leg, right behind your knee, there's a vein called the popliteal vein, and sometimes clots will form there. And there are certain risk factors for clots to form. We can talk about that. But that clot can come from anywhere. When a clot breaks loose from its original site, it then becomes like an embolus. And then if you have an ischemic stroke where this occurs when a blood clot blocks the blood flow in an artery within the brain. Then you can have a hemorrhagic stroke where the hemorrhagic stroke occurs when a blood vessel bursts within the brain. But that clot doesn't necessarily have to come from the heart. It can come from the lungs. It can come from the lower extremities in, in your body, like your legs, your lower legs and the calves. Women who, for example, who have been on birth control pills for a long time, who are menopausal on our estrogen, they can form clots in their legs. For example, I have a client. She's a runner. She runs eight and 10 miles at a time. One day she was out running. It was on a Saturday. And she had to stop because she couldn't breathe. So she had the presence of mind to call somebody. They came and picked her up and they took her to the emergency room. Good thing. 
because she had clots in her legs and in her lungs. And if one of those would have broken loose, she could have had a stroke, a heart attack, she could have died. So this is a real concern. So you can have a ischemic stroke where you have a blood clot blocking the flow of blood or hemorrhagic stroke where you have a ruptured vessel in the brain. So the thing that's disconcerting about this client who is a runner, so someone who we think of as being fit, then she has all these clots. So clots happen. Why? Ah, in her case, the clots occurred because she was on birth control pills for a long time and didn't get off of them. But she didn't know about this. Nobody ever told her that being on birth control pills for such a long time with estrogen, you're going to get yourself into trouble. Mm -hmm. And so that's one reason why. By the way, a thrombosis is the formation of a thrombus. A thrombus is a clot. That's a medical term for clot. And you have these clots for different reasons. You can have heart disease and you have placking in the arteries. A piece of that breaks off. That clot can start to move through the bloodstream. That's called an embolus. And then that can cause a stroke. Hormone replacement therapy, having a disease like cancer can promote clots. Limited mobility uh, where people that are too much bed rest or, have, or, not, or who are too sedentary, they can have a clot. A recent surgery can be the cause of a clot. As I said, estrogen-containing contraceptives also. So here's a quiz question, speaking of clots. You have two men. One is five foot three and one is six foot three. And they're on a plane and are headed to London. And the flight time is nine hours. Which one of those two men is more inclined to develop a clot? Which one do you think? <laughs> you had to guess. Take a guess. Mm, I'm going to guess the taller one. Okay. They both are. <laughs> but, for, but for different reasons. The five foot three fella, if on an airplane, the seat doesn't rise up and down. It just goes forward and back. So the seat is low. Well... There's the thing called seat edge pressure. If that person is too short, then they need to be a little higher, and that seat is not at the right height, there could be too much pressure behind that knee where that popliteal vein is, and a clot can form. Mm. With the six-foot-three fella, what is the one thing people complain about on an airplane they don't have enough room? Leg well, room. <laughs> leg room. So the six-foot-three dude is sitting there for four and five hours maybe and not moving his legs. That can form a plot. It's called stasis. The blood is not moving. Here's another quiz question. Do you think that the consequences of the clot would manifest on that day, the next day, a week later? Do you think it's sooner or later? What do you think? Wow, that is really curious. I would think it should manifest uh, almost immediately. Not necessarily. See, and I would say the same thing like you did. You're in, you know, you would think in Intuitively, that would be the case. Right. You could have that clot could break loose that day, the next day, a week later, and even eight weeks later. Wow. So these are the things you learn when you start to dig into a topic like this. You discover these sorts of facts and issues. So clots in and of itself, I go on shows and I just talk about clots, but you know, it, it is connected to stroke. And the other thing that I, I'm the father, you know, who raised a daughter. So I have a bias here with, when it comes to women's health. And I shared with you before we came on air today that there's this 
tremendous and horrible myth and misconception that only men are susceptible to heart disease, heart attacks, and strokes. That is just absolutely wrong. Many women don't even know they have a risk for stroke. In fact, stroke is the fifth leading cause of death for women. In the United States, one in five women between the ages of 55 and 75 will have a stroke. Again, gender, these diseases are not necessarily gender specific. Heart disease is a man's disease as well as a woman's disease. And heart disease is the leading cause of death in our country and in Canada too. Which is shocking. Even one in five, that's 20%. But we don't even want it to be one in five. So you've told us about some of the reasons these can happen. And Mm -hmm. so we want to have more mobility in our life. And just a tangent of that, thinking in terms of people traveling more and uh, flying more these days, one of the things about that, using the example, which I thought was great in terms of flying, make sure you move around a bit. Don't sit for the entire flight. Yeah, I used to travel to Europe a lot. I would go in business class. You would sleep at night, but sometimes I would get stuck in coach and I would always want to sit next to the bulkhead where the window is so I could put a pillow there. And when you're sitting there, you're uninclined to want to get up and ask people to move, you know, get up three and four times to walk around. So probably the best seat if you're going to be on a long trip is that aisle seat. you got a little bit more leg room. You can get up. You don't have to inconvenience people. I mean, they get annoyed. The aisle seat is a good seat. But I always get the question, Kate, well, what can I do about this? Is there any kind of food? Is there any way of lifestyle? Yes, you alluded to one thing. Keep moving. Be physically active. And don't sit for long periods of time without moving your legs. If you have to sit, at least move your legs. But if you can get up and walk around, even if it's for a minute or two, do that. And if you have heart disease or some other kind of chronic disease, you might be inclined to start forming clots. So you need to be aware of that and be mindful of it. I believe that the cardiovascular system as we age, in my practice, the two biggest concerns that show up all the time are cardiovascular issues and digestive care issues. Cardiovascular issues, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, high triglycerides, heart disease. I'm dealing with this every day, day in and day out. So you want to take care of your cardiovascular system. And with my clients, they say, you know, Dr. Garko, I... I know you told me I need to do X, Y, and Z, but I can't do all those things. There's one thing I can do. I say, well, at least take the supplement I'm going to recommend. I recommend to them and I recommend to your audience, which is the Strauss Heart Drops. That product is fabulous. It's been around for decades, over 40 years. It's from Strauss Naturals. That's a family-owned business. They're good people. The formulations in this product is it's unbelievable. It's all botanicals. You can go to StraussNaturals.com. Strauss Heart Drops. I can tell you much about it. I take it every day. It's one of my favorite supplements. It's for prevention and preparation. And I'll explain what that difference is. But the Strauss Heart Drops is where we want to go with this. And reading from some notes here, it says that one of the ingredients is a garlic extract? Yes. That's the centerpiece botanical in the product. Aged garlic extract. I can tell you, I'm a medical researcher as well. I've done it for decades. Aged garlic extract, there are hundreds, if not thousands of studies on aged garlic extract. It is known to be anti-cholesterol, anti-thrombotic, you know, clots. It's a preventative for heart disease. If you have heart disease, 
it is something that you want to take and make sure that you take it on a regular basis. It's good for blood pressure. It has just so many fabulous benefits. And it's liquid, so it's easy to take two or three times a day. And by the way, the company Strauss Naturals guarantees that your cholesterol, your triglycerides, and blood pressure will go down if you stay on the protocol. Uh, if you go to StraussNatural.com, all the details are there. They guarantee it. No questions asked. They'll give you your money back. I have several clients, Kate, that have advanced heart disease, and they're also on blood pressure meds, too. The product is not contraindicated for high blood pressure or cholesterol medications. Now, if they're on blood thinners, you got to be careful, and then you should talk with your cardiologist. But the aged garlic extract is in the product, hawthorn, fruit, European mistletoe, motherwort, cayenne, bilberry, white willow bark. All of those herbs combined with the aged garlic extract really work together synergistically in a way that you will benefit. In my training, which is extensive, one of my favorite courses was uh, botanical medicine. Herbs are a big part of my practice. They are a gift from nature, and they are a wonderful gift, and they've been around for thousands of years. In Chinese medicine, botanicals are a big deal. And in my practice, I use herbs a lot, and that's why I like the Strauss Heart Drops. And going at it from a natural point of view feels just so holistic that uh, we're not going to find that it's going to have harmful effects on our body. Yeah, you know, many of my friends, uh, you know, I'm a Ph.D., not an M.D., and I have an advanced degree in nutrition. I went back and got another master's degree in nutrition, so I'm well-trained. But many of my friends are allopathically trained, classical trained doctors. And they tell me sometimes they don't want to prescribe a medication. It's a last-ditch effort for many of them. The patient doesn't want to do X, Y, or Z, and they're going to have a heart attack if they don't take this blood thinner. So they'll prescribe the med. Now, some doctors will prescribe medications without exploring any other alternatives. I don't know what to say about that. But I try to look for natural, well-established evidence-based, notice, notice my language, and science-based natural therapies. And that's what I look for. Show me the data. I've been trained. My one professor, he kept saying, show me the data, show me the data. You go on the internet, you read all that nonsense about if you do X, Y, or Z, kill chicken at midnight, something <laughs> good is going to happen. That's ridiculous. What's the science? I can tell you, when you look at a product like Strauss Heart Drops, you look at hawthorn fruit, European mistletoe, motherwort, the aged garlic extract, the bilberry leaf, the white willow bark, I could entertain you all day long with study after study on each of those. So there's a lot of science to support what they do. And it's just one thing you can do. And, you know, people say, well, is it going to prevent? Well, it, it depends on how you want to live your life, too. But there's prevention and then there's preparation. We can prevent a war, Kate, but are we prepared to fight one? So if you take that metaphor and extend it over into health, you can prevent a disease. But what happens if you get sick? Are you prepared to fight the war against that disease? Have you built up enough inventory of health to do that? So prevention sometimes is not enough. You've got to prepare as well. So whether you have heart disease, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, high triglycerides or not, I tell people who are middle-aged and older, get on a product like Strauss Heart Drops. Prepare yourself. Take care of your cardiovascular system. That's my point of view. I believe in it, and that's how I do my nutrition practice. And there are other 
foods, too, that you consider clot-busting in addition to taking a supplement? Yeah, I mean, you can. There are a number of different foods. You know, you can a number of different supplements, too, that are useful when you take, uh, when you're concerned about clots. And some of these will thin the blood. So if you're on a blood thinner, you got to be careful. Uh, you don't want to be taking like vitamin E or fish oil in high doses if you're on a blood thinner. You should not do that. You need to talk with your physician, your cardiologist. Those will thin the blood and keep, you know, uh, clots from forming. Uh, so vitamin E, fish oil, ginkgo biloba, the aged garlic extract will also help with that. Uh, curcumin uh, will also help with that kind of issue as well. So there are a number of different, you can get them in supplement form, botanicals, eating a diet that's not cardiogenic. In other words, not bringing you up like a pinball machine because you're eating cookies, crackers, cakes, chips, mm -hmm. and colas, and cupcakes. You know, you want to eat fruits and vegetables. That will help keep your cardiovascular system healthy as well. But the aged garlic extract and those other botanicals that I mentioned, you can just do one product instead of having to take five or six different things all at once. Go to StraussNaturals.com. They're wonderful people, Kate. There's a phone number there online. You can call them, ask them any questions. You know, I find them to be just honest and straightforward, and they make good products. And to, again, really build a good lifestyle, having movement, exercise, using the supplementation. And you said eat a good diet. The Mediterranean diet is often one we look to, uh, right? That turns out I'm the product of an immigrant mother and father. My mother was from Italy, and I was raised on a Mediterranean diet. <laughs> that diet, again, as a medical researcher, there are hundreds and hundreds of studies, maybe thousands of studies on a Mediterranean diet. That diet, as well as the DASH diet, meaning dietary approaches to stop hypertension, it's very similar to the Mediterranean diet. They're a little different, but the DASH diet and the Mediterranean diet, I find not only good for cardiovascular health, but they're good for overall health. But, you know, I can tell people to do it. It's hard to get people to change their eating behavior. Okay, that's the truth. Because if you think about it, our relationship with food really began inside your mom when she was pregnant with you. What she ate started to determine your destiny and your nutritional destiny and your health destiny. So this relationship with food started you know, there and all through childhood, adolescence, adult, early adulthood. By the time you're 40, your eating behaviors are pretty well established. And now trying to change some of those behaviors is difficult. I've fortunately been trained in the social sciences and cognitive behavioral therapy. So with my clients, I teach them how to change their behavior. I'm changing their behavior with them, their eating behavior in that relationship with food. I just don't tell them what to do. You don't need to tell somebody who's obese that they need to lose weight. The most persuasive thing you can tell them is how to do it. And so that's what I do in my practice. And how do we do this? And it takes time. So that, that's the truth. I wish I could say there was a quick an easy way to all this, but there just isn't. And it's important to simply get started. It may take time because it's like turning a big ship around, but at least oh. you need to get started in order to really make any kind of headway. Absolutely. And, you know, I have clients that come to me for different reasons. One of the big reasons is weight management and weight reduction. 
And I'm not surprised because three-quarters of the people in the United States are either overweight or obese, and one-third, Kate, are obese. And we have now an epidemic of obesity among children, yes. uh, which is almost criminal because we have these youngsters who have adult, adult diseases and disorders. They have high cholesterol, high triglycerides, high blood pressure. And we can also now, when you look at the studies, you start to see that the inner lining of their artery, that intimal lining, is they have what they call fatty streaks. The placking is starting to form already 8, 9, 10, 11 years old. Yep, kids 10, 12 years old are on high blood pressure medication and anti-cholesterol meds, for heaven's sake. Uh, so this obesity epidemic is real. And so I'm spending a lot of time with clients trying to help them not only lose the weight, but to keep it off. And it's a life, like you say, it's a lifestyle, diet and lifestyle. And it's a huge commitment. It's hard to do, but it can be done. And it must be done because it is for ourselves. But as we see, our youth, our kids are suffering from this. And we owe it to them to reverse this and get them on a good path early in their life. Yeah. You know, it's a public health crisis. That's how I see it. Of the 21st century, the most important public health crisis that we have is obesity. I don't know if the medical system is going to be able to sustain itself. We're raising children by the time they're 20. We're raising sick children, sick children, a large measure of them being ill with these adult diseases. And it's from diet and lifestyle, diet and lifestyle, all these processed foods. Our food culture is dominated with processed foods. I can tell people to eat fruits and vegetables till I'm blue in the face, but until I get them into my practice and can work with them one session at a time, and teach them how to change that behavior, it's difficult. So you're right. As a society, we should do something about this. If not for us, at least for the children, for our kids. But I'm an optimist and an idealist, and I always believe that we can change and do better. And as, as the nuns used to write on my papers and on my report card, room for improvement. I'm on that list, too. <laughs> as we all are. But just, again, to get started, we owe it to ourselves, first of all. Then we owe it to our children. We'll be the good models for them to have the a healthy lifestyle. And what we started with, prevent strokes, prevent debilitating diseases in our lives. Yeah, you know... I don't mean to be dark about this, but we're all going to pass away. We're going to leave this good earth. And that's going to happen in one two, of two general ways. We're either going to die because we get sick or we're going to die from an accident. Uh, what's ironic about all this, if you walk into a nursing home, you see so many people that are malingering who are not healthy, never practice health, but they're hanging on. They're, they're being kept alive and they're suffering. What's, what the paradox about that, it's so paradoxical, you know, we're going to die, but you want to die a good death, meaning yes. that if you get sick, you want to be have quality of life into your 80s or 90s, have good quality of life. If you get sick, then not to malinger and suffer. Um, and what there's some interesting research out there that shows that people who really took care of themselves are healthy, live a long life with quality of life. And then when they really get into a lot of trouble with a serious disease, they don't malinger. They pass and leave the earth more quickly and with less suffering. It's kind of interesting how that works. Yes, the suffering we can do without. So 
that's why it's so important to do what we can to be the healthiest we possibly can. And it's possible in our society, in our world, it's so doable for us. It is. When I was a boy, my father used to say, you know, Michael, your health is your wealth. He said that so many times. He worked for the railroad and he was on the platforms where the trucks and trains were and he got lung disease Mm. from the pollution, but he died. It was just awful to watch. And I never forgot that. Your health is your wealth. And then when I was doing my own show for almost 16 years, I thought about it. Your health is your wealth and your health is the wealth of those that care about and love you. If you think about it, if something happens to you, the people in your life that love you and care about you, your loss is going to be their loss too. So if you're not going to do it for yourself, do it for the people that love you and care about you. So if you think about it too, without your health, even if you get a headache or get the flu or something, how it can turn you sideways and your quality of life turns into a dumpster fire. Mm. Well, just imagine having a chronic disease like cancer or some God-forbidden disease. Quality of life, my God, you're hanging on to fight for your life. So our health is our wealth. I know that's not made cliche, but I believe that with my whole heart and soul. Oh, it's one of those things that's a nugget of truth and sometimes that kind of more simple guidepost to keep us going and motivated. So I appreciate that. As I do appreciate you, Dr. Garko, this has just been a wonderful, informative time. I just appreciate all your insights and recommendations. Thank you you for spending time with us this morning and giving us such great information. I always like to leave uh, the audience with one, you know, sort of spiritual kind of thought in a sense. And I'm often asked, how do you live your life? And this is what I say. I get up every day and I literally say, live your life one day at a time, mindfully, in the moment, with purpose, passion, and gratitude, all in the better service of others. And I have found living that way makes me feel fulfilled and purposeful in my time on this earth. And that is what you are sharing with us.